Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 yes so if you have your bibles go ahead and open those to romans chapter 6 that's where we will be this morning going to begin looking at romans chapter 6 those of you who joined us last week you'll remember that there was this Incredible contrast between the work of Christ and the work of Adam. And one leads to life, one leads to death. And at the end of it all, we all have a very important decision that we have to make. We have to decide whether or not we're going to be found in the work of Adam, which leads to death, or if we're going to be found in the work of Christ, which leads to life. At the end of Romans chapter 5, Paul so eloquently describes the contrast between sin and grace. And he says we're sin abounds or abounded or grew or increased, grace abounded all the more. And I just love that. I love that picture that you cannot out-sin God's grace. God's grace is bigger than your sin, no matter how big you might feel your sin is right now today. God's grace is bigger than that sin. And so we're going to pick it up kind of after that thought, on the tail end of that thought. He's going to begin to build this theme, is going to kind of elaborate before us in Romans chapter 6. And so Before we get into that, just by kind of way of some honesty with where I am, next week I'll be turning 40 years old. So it's one of those milestone birth dates. I don't know if there's any 40-year-olds, people who are 40 or over. Pastor Frank tells me, when you turn 40 years old, you will not be able to see anymore. And he makes fun of me all the time because I have these really small notes in my Bible. You know, here, let me show you my Bible real quick. Boom, there's my notes. I don't have everything memorized. I actually tape my notes right there in the Bible. And he says, you're not going to be able to use that anymore. You're going to need a teleprompter when you turn 40. So we'll see what happens after this next week, right? But it's one of those milestone birth dates where you kind of have to pause and take an inventory of your life. And you really have to ask yourself, who are you? What is your identity? What is your identity wrapped up in, right? Who are you when you look into the mirror? I remember when I was 30 years old. And I left my 20s and went into my 30s. And just the idea of where Jesus was at when he turned 30, that he was just beginning his earthly ministry. When I turned 33, I honestly asked myself, man, what are you doing with your life? At 33, Jesus was dying for the sins of the world. 40 years old, Jesus never made 40 years old. And so again, it's one of those opportunities where you look into the mirror, you ask yourself, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? And here's the thing. Our culture will try to paint you into a corner. It'll try to get you to identify as a Republican or a Democrat, a conservative or a liberal. I'm a progressive or I'm a traditionalist, right? It'll try to paint you into these corners where you have to decide. And if you're one of those things, you can't be another. And so where are those places at the table for those of us who maybe think that, you know what, black lives really do matter, but we also want to care for our police. 
right? There's this binary thought that we've bought into in our culture where if you believe one thing, you can't believe another, right? Well, what if you believe that there is a risk with coronavirus and you think the government maybe is overreaching in some cases, right? Can you have both of those thoughts at the same time? Who do you identify as? What is your identity wrapped up in? Even in the church, we struggle with this, and we identify as Baptists or as Pentecostals or maybe as a Nazarene or you know, right across the street, the Episcopal Church, and we put ourselves in these groups, and this is the group of people that I identify with. This is where I find my identity. This is where I find my worth. Even outside of the church, we have this struggle with our identity, and maybe some of us find our worth in our profession, in that title that we have, or that name that is on our faceplate, right? That that's where my identity is. I see myself in the mirror, I am what I do. And if that's how you look at yourself in the mirror, there's a problem there. You're bound to be disappointed eventually, because you're so much more than just what you do. Some of us are wrapping up our identity in the fact that we're a parent, or what kind of a parent we are, or that we're a spouse. And here's the thing, all of those identities can be taken from you in an instant. The fact that I'm a pastor, tomorrow I might not be a pastor. The fact that I'm a husband, tomorrow I might not be a husband. The fact that I'm a father, tomorrow I might not be a father. All of those things can be taken. Read the story of Job. If his identity was wrapped up in who he was, in the fact that he was a father or a husband or any of those things, they were taken from him in a moment. In one day, his life completely changed. And so if you're finding your identity in any of those sources, you're going to be disappointed eventually. However, if when you look in the mirror, you look in the mirror and you see what God sees looking back, then that's a strong identity to have. Do you realize how precious you are in the sight of the Lord? Do you realize? The scripture says, greater love has no man than this, than that he lay his life down for his friends. When you look into the mirror, do you see someone that was loved enough that you had a friend named Jesus that went to a cross in your place? Because that is who you are. Let that define you. Let that become your identity. The scripture says that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God showed you what love looked like by going to a cross, he loved you. You were that precious to him. Let that be your identity. Let that define you. How about this verse? First John chapter 4, verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the payment for our sins. That's what love is. That is who you are. When you look into the mirror, you have to let that define you. The way God sees you, that is who you are at your core. So what we're going to begin this text this morning looking at is our identification through baptism. Again, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. So if you're taking notes, write this down. We're going to look at our identification through baptism. Begin with me in verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if you've been united with him in a death like his, we certainly will be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now let's pause there for a moment and let's take a look at this text. Paul 
on the heels of this amazing truth where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. He says, so what does this mean to us, he says? What does this mean to us? Are we then to continue sinning so that grace can continue abounding? Is that what we're supposed to do? Are we to continue in sin since we can't out-sin God's grace? Should we just continue living in that state perpetually? Is that what we're called to do? The word continue in the Greek is meno, and it means to find your home in, to be comfortable in. And there's a real problem if you as a believer in Jesus are comfortable in sin. If you've made home in sin, if you kick up your feet, if you lay back in the recliner, if you grab the remote, you put on your favorite t-shirt, and you feel that comfortable in a state of sinfulness, there's a real problem because you as a believer should not feel comfortable in a continued state of sinfulness. Again, are we to continue in sin so that grace might abound? Is that what we're to do, Paul is asking? Right? He's kind of baiting his arguers, those, those who are arguing with me. He's baiting them. Is that what we're supposed to do? Absolutely not. Here's the thing. As a believer, you have the Spirit of God living and dwelling within you. His Spirit resides in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says. And that Holy Spirit that dwells within you is grieved by sin. In the Greek, that word grieved means to crush or it means to make into a saddened state. That's what you do when you enter into sin. You take the Holy Spirit with you into that sinful state, and the Holy Spirit is saddened by that sinful state. That's why you can't feel comfortable as a believer continuing in your old sinful lifestyles. You shouldn't feel comfortable in your old sinful lifestyles as a believer, as someone who has the Spirit of God dwelling within you. Why? Because that Spirit is being grieved. That Spirit is being mourned. That Spirit's heart is breaking within you when you're continuing on in your sin. Now, you should have a real problem. You should really be fearful if you're a believer today and you're satisfied living in a state of sinfulness. If you're cohabitating with someone, if you're committing fornication, if you're involved in some sort of lustful addiction, there should be a problem if you're satisfied in that sinful state. Because the scripture clearly says that your heart can become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So hardened that maybe you don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The scripture says that your conscience can become seared as a hot iron. That it can become calloused so that you no longer hear God's presence. You no longer hear God's spirit saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You shouldn't be satisfied living in that sin. The scripture actually says, Jesus himself says, that every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven man except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That word blasphemy means to revile. It means to curse. It means to speak against. But even more so than that, the word means to abuse. Think about that just for a moment. Any kind of abuse will be forgiven men except for one kind of abuse, and that is when you abuse the Spirit. What do you think is happening when you take the Holy Spirit into sinful situation after sinful situation? You're punching the Holy Spirit in the gut, and there's only so much abuse that God's Spirit will take before He takes His hands off, and He says, you know what? You're going to have to find out the hard way. You're going to have to figure this out on your own. And, you know, I'm always here and ready if you want to return, but I'm no longer going to follow you into that sin. There's a point where we push God's spirit away for so long that God says, okay, that's it. I surrender you to your own flesh, your own fleshly, worldly desires. Now, I I honestly, truthfully believe that you cannot commit that sin until you've breathed your last because our God is a God of grace. And right up to the very end of our lives, we can call out for salvation. We can call out for mercy and grace, and God will meet us with the mercy and grace that we need. So that cannot be completed until you've breathed your last. But I wonder... 
If there are those of you out there listening today that are abusing God's spirit, you are grieving God's spirit because you have this mindset that, you know what, my sin has already been covered. My sin has already been paid for. What's the big deal if I enjoy myself just a little bit in this life? That Paul is saying, should we continue in sin? Should we feel comfortable in sin? Should we make our home in sin so that grace might abound? Now, there were those who would say, that if God really wants to forgive, well, why don't I sin? Because then God has more to forgive. If forgiveness brings God pleasure, then I'm going to sin so he has more to forgive. There are those who would say that, you know what, if God's grace is what my goal in life is to be able to enjoy, then the only way I can enjoy more grace is if I sin more often. Now, both of those thoughts are completely ridiculous. Paul says, certainly not. That is not the mindset that you should have. There's this belief or this idea, and we call it antinomianism. And antinomianists basically state that because our sins are covered by grace, because we have salvation by grace through faith, that because of that, we're no longer bound to any sort of moral or religious law. We don't have to keep any sort of moral or religious law, that basically everything is covered by the blood, so we might as well live however we want to live. And if that's maybe where you're caught up in, maybe that's the kind of lifestyle that you've been living, Paul would say, how could you? Now, think about this just for a moment. He's speaking against those in the beginning of the book that are involved in legalism, that they want to keep the law in order to be right. And now on the other side, the opposite end of the spectrum, are those who are so caught up in license, so caught up in freedom to be able to do whatever they want, that they've gone the other direction. You've got to fall somewhere in the middle. You have to find a balance between trying to appease God through the law and still wanting to honor God's law in order to not break his heart or grieve his spirit. Right? So, again, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might abound? By no means. That's ridiculous. Paul says, how can you who died to sin still live in? How could you? He says, how could you possibly believe that you should continue to live in sin? It makes no sense for a believer to do that. And if that's where you're at this morning, I would ask you this question. Do you really truly understand the cost of your sin? Do you understand what it costs Jesus when you spend hours on your phone watching what you're watching or listening to what you're listening to? Do you understand that the cross is what was needed in order to cover that sin? Do you understand the cost of sending that text message or continuing on with that conversation or that relationship behind your spouse's back? Do you understand that the cost of that sin was the cross that Jesus had to suffer? Do you understand those of you who are caught up in some sort of addiction and you're, some sort of thing that you're trying to hide from those around you? And addiction can take many different forms. It's not just substance abuse. Some of you are addicted to spending money or to Amazon or some of you are addicted to food or whatever it might be, those things that draw you away from God's presence. Do you understand that the cost for your sin was the cross? How can you even possibly consider continuing, remaining in, abiding in, finding your home in sin when you understand the cost? The cost was the cross. In Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, there's an account that is given by Isaiah about what it looks like, what the cross looked like. And it uses words like marred beyond recognition. He was beaten so badly that you couldn't tell who Jesus was. It uses words like despised and rejected. And specifically in Isaiah 53, this is what it says. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. Now listen to these descriptions of what the cross meant to Jesus. Smitten by God, afflicted, he was pierced 
for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. He was chastised. Chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we were healed. That is the cost to the sin that you're flirting with today. That is what it cost Jesus. How could you, who have died to sin, continue to live in that sin? If you understood what it cost Jesus, how could you even contemplate? How can you even imagine continuing to live that kind of lifestyle? It's as if you look at Jesus and you say, you know what, Jesus? I deserved the license that I enjoyed today. I deserve this sin. It's good that you went to the cross so that I can enjoy my sin. What a crazy thought some people have. And that's the thought that you have somewhere in your heart if you're continuing in sin without any conviction today, if you consider yourself a believer. So look at this again. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? You've died to sin. Again, that word, we looked at it last week. The root of that word means a separation. It's apo. In the Greek, it means to separate or to surgically remove. And it's though God reached down with a scalpel and he removed the tumor of sin from your life. And if the tumor of sin has been removed from your life, why would you want to continue to live in it? He's surgically removed that. He's healed you of that sinfulness of the death that followed that sin. He healed you from that. Why would you consider living in that? Why would you still live in it? When I first began doing ministry, Right after I got saved, I got saved at 18, I started doing ministry like right away. The greatest need that they had was in the nursery. Very similar to what church is like around here when we have church going on, right? And so 18-year-old young man, where can I serve? Where am I needed? I want to serve the Lord. You know what? We have the perfect place for you, right over there in the nursery, right? 18 years old, I had never changed a diaper in my life, but there I am in the nursery. And I came to understand some of these kids, and I knew somehow, some way. They were able to time their bathroom movements by when they were going to spend time with me in nursery. Every single week, right, you'd have these kids that would go off into the corner and they would assume the squatty potty position. Their faces would turn red and then they'd kind of continue on with their life afterwards. Now, I look at those and I think, how can you possibly be comfortable living that way. Have you become nose blind? Do you not smell what you just created? How is that comfortable to walk around like that in your own mess? But in reality, that's the way we live our lives, many of us, day in and day out. We've become blind. We have blind spots in our lives, right? Have you ever walked into someone's house and you think, man, this house is a mess, but you walk into your own house and maybe it's even messier, but you don't see your own mess? That's the way we live our lives. We don't see our own sin. And here, Paul says, how can you continue to live in sin if if it's been surgically removed? Why would you want to continue to live with the dirty diaper? Why would you continue to still live in a hoarder's home? Why would you want to live that way if you can live differently, if that's been removed? Why would you stay in that fallen state? Don't you know that there's something better for you, that you've been made for something better? Where's your identity wrapped up in? And he's going to answer that question here. Look at verse 3. Do you not know? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is how you make an identification with Jesus. In baptism, in the spiritual form of worship that we call baptism, 
right? We come forward and we normally have tubs here on the side and we have to have baptisms very soon because there are people out there listening and especially after we talk about this today that you know that you need to be baptized. But how do we identify with the work of the cross? How do we look at what Jesus did in in his death, burial, and resurrection and say, yes, that is what was done for me. We identify with that through the act of baptism. Paul says that just as Jesus was crucified, just as he was dead for sin, just you also have been baptized with him in death. When you were baptized, it's as though you went with him in that death. Now, the word baptized is bapto in the Greek, and it means to dip or to immerse. And this is kind of a really specific definition. If you want to take notes, you can write this down. It's an act of placing something into an environment in which the original state of the object is irreversibly altered and becomes new in quality and in character. Now, for the Jewish mindset, as this is being kind of this book, this letter of Romans, this epistle of the Romans is being written to people who have become a part of the church but had maybe a foundation in Judaism, right? To the Jewish mindset, baptism was the way in which a Gentile would come out of the Gentile world and would make confession of faith in Yahweh and the one true God, and they would have to come and they would have to be baptized. It was a renunciation of their old life, of their Gentile way of living. It was letting go of all that they used to be, all that they had learned. It was letting go of their paganism, their false worship. It was letting go of their past sinfulness, their past life. And when they came to the waters of baptism and they would go down into these mikvahs, these great big huge tubs, these people would be baptized, they would be taken down under the water and brought back up. And it was as though they were renouncing their past and they were starting over. That's literally what this meant for the Jewish mind, those who were being baptized. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he likens the Red Sea crossing of the Israelites when they left Egypt and they came into the land of Canaan, into the land of promise. He likened that to baptism where they're leaving their slavery They're leaving their bondage. They're leaving that hardship. They're leaving their taskmasters. They're leaving that behind. And through the waters of the Red Sea, through the waters of baptism, they're coming into the land of promise. They're coming into the land of Canaan. That's what it's like. You're leaving your past behind and you're getting a fresh, clean start. In the Jewish mindset, this fresh start was so powerful so strong in the life of someone who is confessing faith through baptism that it was as though they were being reborn. Now, doesn't this shine new light on Jesus' words in John chapter 3 when he's speaking to that religious leader, Nicodemus? And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. Don't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born again. You have to be born again, anothen in the Greek, from above. You have to have a spiritual birth. You've been born physically. You have a fleshly, physical birth that took place. You're in a physical body. But if you want to come into the presence of God, you have to be born again. You have to be born from above. You have to have a spiritual rebirth. You need to be reborn, born all over again. That's, again, what baptism signified, symbolized for the Jewish mindset. That's what baptism symbolizes for you and for me. I want to make this very clear baptism will not save you. You're not saved through the act of baptism. What baptism is, it's an outward profession or confession or expression of something that has already happened inwardly. I read somewhere this last week that baptism is an expression of faith the same way that words are an expression of thought. Let me say that again. Baptism 
is an expression of faith, something that you believe, something that is so strong within you, the same way that we express our thoughts through our words. If you want to make your thoughts come to life, you have to speak them out. If you want your faith to come to life, you have to speak that out. You have to go through the rite of baptism. You have to be baptized. Again, baptism doesn't save you, but it's an outward expression of what God has already done within you. Now, we have these outward expressions that we kind of use every day. And the main one that I can think of is the outward expression of a wedding ring, right? If I'm wearing this wedding ring, I'm saying something to the world. I'm saying, listen, I'm married. My heart is pledged to another, right? I belong to Sarah and to Sarah alone and no one else. And so I wear this as an outward expression of something that I believe, something that my heart is true to on the inside. This is an outward expression of my belief or my thought. That is what baptism is like. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977